Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Welcome back for another episode of Collider Ladies Night. I am starting off my 2022 strong because you all know that I love Scream and I just had a Scream guest on and now I love Peacemaker and I have Jennifer Holland on the show. Congratulations. I love this show so, so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you have not been warned. The first thing we do on Ladies Night is we play with the dice tower behind me. I've got eight random questions here. You get three rolls on the tower and whatever you roll, that's what we start with at least. All right. All right, here we go. First roll. Starting with a number eight. Eight is game show. If you could be on the game show of your choice, what show would you pick and could you actually win it? Game show. Is this restricted to like, um, like Wheel of Fortune type games or, cause I, I might be on Survivor if, that's considered a game show. Oh, you show. can count Survivor. I might be on that show or The Amazing Race. Those are, I would love, both of them are, seem like such an adventure. I'm a word puzzle nerd, but I feel like Amazing Race and Survivor impresses me way more. Oh, it's just like something that would change your life, you know? It seems like such an extraordinary experience. And when are you ever going to do something like that again? I play word puzzles, no, no offense, but I play them on my phone all the time. I'd rather get some experience that would oh it would just be so cool i'm never going to choose electively to put myself on a uh, you know an island with no food or fresh water <laughs> or shelter um so you know it would be an experience that i think i would only have if i had gone on the show i guess Fair enough. Now I need to follow up. Do you like extreme activities? Like, would you do something like bungee jumping or skydiving? Uh, I wouldn't call myself like a, a thrill seeker of any kind. I love, I'm athletic. I love being outdoors. I love doing things like hiking and biking and kayaking um, and, uh, you know, do, doing any sort of like physical activity outdoors is fun to me, but uh, I don't want to jump out of an airplane. I have no interest in, in, 
you know, jumping off of a cliff attached to uh, a rubber band. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not a thrill seeker. Okay. Okay. As someone who's done all of that, it's a very fair place to draw the line. I should have thought about that before I did anything. Have you you jumped out of an airplane or bungee jumped? I have jumped out of an airplane twice and I uh, bungee jumped at the Jumanji Junket. And I was the first one off that platform. You're kidding. Wait, Jumanji Junket had a bungee the Jumanji, the Jumanji, the next level junket took us to Cabo and it, it asked like journalists, would you rather zip line or bungee jump? And of course I went out with the bungee jumping group and no one wanted to go first. So I'm like, why not? My gosh, they're really showing us up. This junket is not as fun as, as the Jumanji junket. Oh, I, mean, I beg to differ. <laughs> All right. I got another roll for you. We're going with a number two, Suicide Squad role swap. If you could swap roles with anyone on this show or in that movie, who would you pick and why? Harley Quinn. I don't know. I mean, I probably would pick Harley Quinn because Margot Robbie played her so well that she made her such an extraordinary character. Um, So she just seems like the most fun, weird character to play. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like that choice. What would you choose? I'm an animal lover, so I think I have to pick Ratcatcher. Ooh, yeah. She's a great character. Like, hands down, one of my favorite characters of 2021 in The Suicide Squad was my number four movie of 2021, for that matter. Wow. I'm a big fan. Very big fan. All right, you got one more roll left on the tower. We're ending this with a number seven. Seven is movie and TV skills. If you could learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would it be? Ooh, wow. Um, oh, wow. If I could learn a new skill or details about a n- different profession? Yep. I, anything to do with, okay, it would be anything to do with like, um, with astronomy or theoretical physics or anything in that realm, if I could, you know, go hang out with the people at like JPL and get to know what they do, uh, I think that would be so exciting for me. I'm kind of a nerd about uh, astronomy and the universe and like, I want to know where we are and why we're here and I have all these questions. So um, uh, I think what those people do is so cool. I'd probably love to, to, to have like a day in the life. I very much respect that choice. Yet another answer that I'm very impressed by. I feel like I would, I mean, it's not silly. I would pick like, I don't know, learning an instrument or forcing myself to finally learn another language or maybe learning to cook. Learning another language is really, really good. Learning to cook also very useful, but learning another language, that would be a great one. Do you cook? Uh, I love to cook, but I hate to clean. I don't want to clean it up afterwards. So. That's part that's part of my problem, but I also just suck at cooking and I always think that like if I cook a piece of chicken, I'll make myself sick. So like why why am I gonna keep myself up at night thinking that I'm gonna kill myself with food? Well with chicken, you just you just cook it until it's it's really, really it's gotta be like rock hard and then you're set. You have no idea who you're talking to right now. <laughs> Nobody wants me to cook anything ever. <laughs> All right, let's get into the meat of our conversation now. So I was like starting at the very, very beginning. What is the the movie, the performance, the personal experience, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor? 
Oh gosh. Um, I don't, I don't even really know what it was that drew me to being an actor. I think that, you know, it probably happened over the course of a lot of things in my life. I think number one, I couldn't wait to get out of, uh, the life that I was in. And I think it, it was like the furthest thing from anything that anyone in my life did or my family did or anything like that. So I think I was drawn to something that would take me away to some degree. Um, and in addition to that, um, I was a gymnast. I grew up uh, being a competitive gymnast and I think there's something about that that drew me, uh, that made me love performance. And um, I got a lot of the sort of artistic creativity, uh, the feeling of, of instant gratification sort of thing from performing. So um, I think probably gymnastics kind of lit the fire for me to want to be a performer to some degree. And um, then I, I started when I was in high school, I started uh, you know, take, I took, took drama class and I was in the drama program and I, I was in the film, um, the, the short film program. We had like, uh, we didn't have any money, but we had like very limited film equipment. I don't even think we had sound equipment. And so uh, we were just messing around and I fell in love. You know, I, I, it was, it was something that I found that, you know, there's certain aspects to acting that fulfill my sense of, um, uh, my the type A aspect of myself because I can I can prepare and I can uh, learn the lines and there are all the things that the type A as, uh, aspect of my personality uh, feels very comfortable with and then uh, the creative side of my personality is very fulfilled by sort of the unknowns of of acting you do all of this preparation and you. Uh, make all these decisions about who your character is and what they think and what they feel and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then you walk into a room with other actors who've prepared themselves in their way. And, and then it all just kind of um, evolves into what it is. And you, hopefully you're, you know, sparring with another actor and that's, there's a creativity in that, that, that really fulfilled me. What a beautiful answer. I feel like you also just captured why I love interviewing people because I'm very type A, sit there and I plan it all out. But then when you sit down, it's about feeling it out and seeing where it goes. Yeah. I like that excitement. Oh, that's really so, nice. It's, it's very similar to acting in that way. I, f I definitely feel it. So you hit the point where you say, I want this to be my career. What is the very first step you take at that point? Is it kind of, you know, the traditional audition grind until something hits? Uh, well, I was living in Florida. I was 16 years old and I went to a convention, which was basically like a bunch of agents and managers went into this big auditorium to uh, watch a bunch of actors and models walk down a runway and then they would decide whether or not they uh, wanted to rep you. Um, and you'd get a call back from, from those people. It was a very weird experience. As a 16 year old, I had no idea that it was as weird as it is, because I don't think those things really happen anymore today. But That's the um, first I've ever heard of something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was very. It was. It was. It was cool because you know they would go around the country and scout out uh, talent, and so I I had to stand up on this big, enormous stage by myself and do a monologue in front of 
this like panel of judges basically because there was just like this panel of of agents and managers out there watching my monologue um and so uh yeah i don't know i i did it i got some callbacks some people wanted to, to to represent me and they were like you know at this time there was um pilot season was a thing um was a specific time of the year when uh, pilots would be filmed, cast and filmed, and then they would be taken to, you know, the the networks and you'd find out which ones would get picked up by the networks. And then and that kind of happens all year round now. But um, at the time there was a pilot season and um, pilots are basically the first episode of a TV show in case anyone who's watching or whatever doesn't know that. But um, so you know, the, 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 the people who wanted to represent me, they were like, you've got to get out here by pilot season. And so I kind of just picked up my whole life, um, right before my 17th birthday, I moved out to California and, um, and it was nothing at all. Like what I imagined it would be. I, I came out and met the guy who told me to move out to, to California, whose name I, I shall not mention. And I sat down with him at my first meeting after I got to California and, and he said, where did I meet you? And I was like, um, Florida, we were, it was, it was the, and you said that you, and, and I moved out my whole life from, uh, um, and, and he was like, well, I, I don't know that there's a place for you here. But, uh, you know, you're welcome to to take acting class for a little while and we can kind of see where it goes. He taught um, free acting class to all of his clients. He was a manager. And um, and so I was like, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll take acting class. And I started taking acting class uh, like seven days a week. And um, and, uh, you know, knowing him now and, and who he sort of who I started to get to, to know over the years, I think that it was uh, sort of his, he, he just, he tests actors all the time. He's always trying to make sure that they know that it's not as easy of a, of a career as you might think it is. And you're not just gonna waltz in here and get a job or whatever. So it could have been, he could have maybe just not remembered me at all, or maybe he was trying to test me to see how, uh, how much, you know, I was really wanting to do this. Oh my, I have so many questions about that feeling of going out there and hearing that. How do you kind of get over that shock of going out there and having that conversation? And I guess like not feeling dejected and thinking to yourself, oh, like I made the wrong decision. I must run in another direction and rather, you know, keeping your sights set on forging forward then. Yeah, I think that, you know, there was a part of me there was so, I was such a smart, intuitive kid. There was a part of me that really knew that that was it, that I was hurt by it. It really, really hurt me. Um, and I felt so dejected. But there was another part of me that was like, well, he said that I can come take free acting class. So obviously he wants to work with me, you know. Uh, so um, I just kind of forged ahead. Very impressed by that. I don't know if I would have the guts to do it. So early on in your career, you score a whole bunch of TV uh, appearances. Of all of those, was there any one that made an especially big impression on you that kind of made you think like, yes, like this right here, give me more things like this going forward? Gosh, I wish I could mention just one, uh, but I think the thing that I quickly learned 
was that the things that I hated about acting were um, the process of, of constant rejection, walking into audition rooms and having casting directors not even look up from their phones or from their uh, you know papers, not even paying attention to you. It just felt like a lot, it's not all the time that this happens. There are plenty of casting directors who pay attention to you and give you the time of day, even if you're not a star, but um, it's, a, it's an extraordinary amount of times you walk into a room and, and you're treated as though uh, you're not supposed to be there or something like that. And it's difficult to deal with that. But once I was on set and I was getting the opportunity to work, all of that stuff fell away and I was having a great time. I love being on set. I love the unknown aspects of the job. You know, it's it's always different. It's always changing. You're always learning. And um, and so I think all of the jobs that I got to do helped me to grow. I would learn, you know, all of the things you 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 do in acting class, you you can't necessarily apply to a job or, uh, you know, there are a bunch of unknowns that you don't learn when you're in, in class that happen on a set and you have to adapt. And uh, all of those things, I think, feed me as an individual. And maybe it's because I, I, I spent my childhood moving around a lot. So maybe there's something about the, um, about the evolving, ever, ever evolving job that, that, feels like home to me or something. Oh, I totally get that. I mean, just the evolution of like any craft or passion, whether it's, you know, acting something in the movie industry or anything beyond it is something that, I don't know, I'm very attracted to because if you stop growing, that sounds like a really boring life. Exactly. Yes. I have to bring up one specific TV title because you happen to be in one of my all-time favorite episodes of American Horror Story, Unholy Night. So... What was it like being on that particular set? And I guess maybe more specifically, what is it like sharing a scene like that with Sarah Paulson of all people? Uh, Sarah Paulson's a, a, a you know a great actress, and I I just I felt so incredibly lucky as as I did when I you know got to meet Viola Davis. I you know I just to work with with people that you look up to and um, who are doing what you want to do. It's it's. It's just a, it's a great experience. You learn a lot from it. Um, and uh, I was really grateful for that opportunity. You know, um, that set was re really an interesting one, I think, because, um, you know, they had already been all working together uh, uh, previously on, on previous uh, seasons of American Horror Story. And so, all of the actors were so uh, sort of, uh, they were just, they were so involved in the whole process of, of making the show. So uh, that was that was kind of unique for me. And the one thing that I will say is that I loved that set. The, the set was, it was just so cool to be there. I was a huge American Horror Story fan. So um, getting to, to be there on the, this really, you know, well-made set, it was just, it was awesome. I had a great time. Production design on that show is just like top notch season to yes. season. I can't even imagine what it felt like to walk into all that. It was uh, it was a dream. It was awesome. I was I was just so happy to be there. Let's talk a little bit about your collaboration with James now. 
When did you first discover that he was an ideal actor's director for you, someone whose writing and directing really enhanced your own craft? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, I think I I found his, his appeal as a director when I was when I would get to watch him work uh, when I before I ever worked with him. I would sit on set of like uh, Guardians 2 or, or what have you and um, and just getting to watch the way he works, the way he uh, tries different things or, uh, you know, he'll 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 get someone to do something over and over and over and over again because he's really um, looking for something specific or because he's wanting to to tear you down to a point, not tear you down, but like strip you down to a point where, um, you know, you're just raw and you're just more real and all of the things that he, I think does, does for people. And he has such a very specific idea of what he wants. So um, it's really easy to sort of put yourself in his hands, so to speak, and, and trust him. Um, and he's just fun. He's just a fun guy to work with. You know, he, he gets, he gets testy and he's, you know, he, he's very, very particular about the things that he likes, but, um, at, at his core, he's just having a good time on set. And so he creates a really great atmosphere um, that feels like a safe place to try new things. All right. Suicide Squad, one one particular moment. You've already brought up working with uh, Viola, but I, I specifically want to know, what is it like having Viola Davis yell at you? Because even as a viewer, when she shouts, open it at you, like my heart skipped a beat. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's... The real deal. There is uh, it, it, everything is raw and present with her. Um, you know, when she screams at me and I jump, I really jump. Like I, it's just that's me as a human being, just going okay. Um, you know, she she just gives you so much. She is. She's just. Uh, I just I just loved working with her, and you know, even off screen. Um, when we're just sitting on our cast chairs off, you know, uh, behind the scenes, she's just chatting you up and she's like a totally, uh, down to earth sort of human being. And it's just so nice. You know, people say, don't, don't meet your idols or whatever. And I once got to meet Goldie Hawn and it was the best experience of my life. And she told me I was beautiful. And I also got to meet Viola Davis and it was an incredible experience. So I don't know, I've had better luck than some. I, I love hearing that about people I admire. At what point in the Suicide Squad process did you first find out that you were gonna get to continue on with this character in a Peacemaker show? Oh boy, uh, it was well, it was well after I had, you know, wrapped Suicide Squad and we had all wrapped Suicide Squad. We basically uh, we got back from shooting Suicide Squad in Atlanta in, I think it was maybe March 3rd of 2020. And so approximately eight days later, we started self-quarantining at our house and um, the world kind of changed. And James's way of dealing with all of that was to dive into more work. He was already working on uh, post-production on the Suicide Squad, but that's not enough for his active brain. So he had to do something else and he, he wanted to dive into writing something. And, and this was what he 
dove into writing. And, um, you know, at first he told me that uh, Harcourt was going to be a part of the series. And I was just, I was just like, yay, I'm, I'm going to get to go play again. I didn't think that she was going to be such an integral part of the show. And when I got to read the uh, episodes for the first time, I was just blown away. I, I just love the character so much. You get quite the arc. I can't wait to dig into that more. But before we touch any spoilers, which obviously we'll save for the appropriate time, just for your own head, did you kind of have to do any, you know, backstory work to fill in the time for her between the events of the Suicide Squad and the start of the show? You know, like, however Project Starfish changed Harcourt, setting the, the foundations for the decisions we see her make early on in Peacemaker. I think that most of the the um, time that I had to fill in in Harcourt's life was her childhood, uh, her early life, you know, the things that kind of made her who she was. I uh, had a bit of a um, challenge trying to sort of meld who Harcourt was in the sh in the in, in the Suicide Squad um, into who she was in the series because. She's a very different person than she was um, in Suicide Squad. Uh, and I think that uh, trying, you know, because James wrote the character uh, as comms tech two or something like that. Uh, she was just a comms hub tech who became sort of a more important character as he was writing uh, the Suicide Squad. And at some point he was like, I'm going to give her a name from the comics so that when, you know, the fans watch the credits, they go, oh my gosh, that was Amelia Harcourt. And, you know, they, they have something to be excited about. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of an Easter egg. It was basically what, why he gave me the name Amelia Harcourt. So my character, when he was writing me in the, in the movie, didn't really have that much to do with Amelia Harcourt from the comics or, you know, anything that was going to be who she is in the series. So um, she's, she's a bit different in the film in that she is not as strong of a person as she is in, in uh, the series. And so, yeah, just sort of trying to meld who she was then and who she is now and make sense of that. And, um, you know, filling in a lot of other blanks, why, why she is who she is, what makes her tick, why is she so cold, all of those things were, were things that I needed to explore. Speaking of um, who she was when she was younger, I think this particular line might have happened in like episode four or something. But at one point she says, you know, here I am living the dream and the delivery makes it feel to me like the dream has faded for her. So if that is the case, what did the original dream look like when she first got into this line of work? Uh, you know, I think is she alludes to some degree that... Uh, her father sort of got her into this line of work. Um, and so I, I think it remains to be seen exactly what all of that looks like. But for my own personal, uh, you know, uh, explanation of who the character is and the backstory that I created for her, uh, I think that she um, idolized her father to some degree and she, she saw him as sort of this, this uh, superhuman uh, person, and uh, and she wanted to, and she wanted to do what he did. Um, I think she she probably didn't know 
uh, all of the baggage and everything that came that came along with that. Job well, very well done conveying that in that particular scene. Because now that you explain it, I can remember just almost like a little bit of an emotional roller coaster as she's explaining all of that, and it reflects what you just said. Ah, uh, thank you. I like that quite a bit. All right, you know I can't not ask you about the opening credits. So, what was your first reaction to finding out what the opening credits to Peacemaker were going to be? Well, my first reaction was, "What? <laughs> we're we're going to do what?" Um, you know, James told me about this uh, this dance sequence that he was planning, and it was written into the scripts from the you know very first uh, iteration. He had this plan for this 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 opening credits dance sequence, and um, like a lot of things that James tells me when he pitches things to me that he's going to write into this script or that script, um, I was just kind of like, "Sounds great, uh, let cool." I I don't know what you mean, but I'm I'm totally in for it. Um, you know, he's just got this imagination that you know when he when he brings it to life. You're, you go, oh my God, that just came out of your brain. How did that happen? Um, you know, so yeah, he he had this specific idea of what he wanted. He conveyed that to our choreographer, Carissa Barton, who did a fantastic job bringing it to life and totally leaned into what it was. And um, she spent, you know, a, a ton of time with us very patiently uh, teaching us how to meticulously sort of uh, learn these moves. And uh, it was so much fun. I can't wait for the show to come out and people to start recreating that dance on TikTok. It'll bring <laughs> so much joy to my life. I hope that, I hope, look, I hope that the show is is liked well enough that that is the, the outcome. That would make me so happy. If it brings people as much joy or even half as much joy as it's brought me, I, I would be so incredibly stoked. For what it's worth, I have high hopes that that's going to happen. Looking at episode four now. So if I'm correct, I believe James directed the first three episodes. So what was it like jumping on to the set with a different director, which I guess would mark the first time you played this character for another director? Uh, well, uh, the first director who came on was Jody and uh, Jody Hill. Uh, and he was a joy to work with. He was just awesome. Um, Jody is, is, he has a, he sets a high bar for himself, I think. And uh, really, he has a lot of integrity and I think he wants to do a good job. And as a, as a guy who's a, a creator himself, he's not just a sort of a gun for hire. He, um, you know, dove into this thing that, that James created and, and really just um, gave it his all, I feel like in the same way that he would any other project that he's working on. So uh, it was great to work with Jody. Uh, he he really understood probably more than uh, all of the rest of the directors, for sure. I think he really just got the tone of the show and the sort of um, balance between comedy and drama and how to keep that really uh, grounded. I feel like literally every single time I've seen anything James has done, one of my big takeaways is I love one of the reasons why I love this project is because I can't see any other director being able to tell this story the same way. So the fact that you guys were able to assemble a team of directors to uphold what he establishes is really, really impressive. 
Well, let me be clear. James is very uh, involved and he is, he's also, uh, you know, in one of the episodes, he definitely, he, he directed a lot of, of one of the episodes uh, just purely because of having to do reshoots. Um, but, uh, you know, he, I, I will, I will give all of the directors, you know, high accolades for being able to uh, mold themselves to James's a very specific vision, you know, because he sees things in his brain so clearly. And then he, that's why he's able to um, then turn them into reality. I think it's really always, it's difficult for him to convey that to someone else and try to get the same outcome. Um, so I think everyone uh, it did a great job at, at uh, you know, su succeeding at that. All your co-stars also did a very good job. And the, uh, the Harcourt Adebayo relationship, I think very quickly became one of my favorites of the bunch. So I guess, what was it like working with Danielle on that? But maybe more specifically, what was it like working with her as, as a scene partner? Anything she did that maybe helped you tap into a layer of your own character that you wouldn't have been able to access without her? Oh, gosh. I mean, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the most surprising things about Danielle was just, it's impossible not to like her. Um, it's impossible not to want to be Danielle's friend. Like she's just got this, this sort of gravity to her. Um, and she's a lovely person. And so playing a character who uh, sort of doesn't trust her, who doesn't much like her um, and who is somewhat feels put upon by her and annoyed by her uh, was, was a struggle because she's just not, she's too, too easy to like, I think. So, um, you know, to a certain degree, uh, it made the, the tougher parts of my character harder, but that's what our job is. Right. But it also, it made the, the times that I, you know, needed to show a different side or a different level um, it was very easy to find ways to feel empathetic and um, care about her. I have to ask you about working with John also, because you don't really, you don't share any scenes in the Suicide Squad. So was there anything about the way that he approached the role and the work that really surprised you when you hit this set? Um, his, 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 he's just a consummate professional. John is always prepared. He's almost always the first person on set and the last person to leave and he comes to set with just absolute uh, dedication and sets the bar for everyone else really high. So I, I, you know, didn't know what to expect. I had met John uh, during the filming of the Suicide Squad, but I had not gotten to work with him. So in that sense, I didn't know what to expect, but he completely surprised me in his, both um, his incredible, uh, his work ethic, this incredible work ethic that he has. Uh, but also he is such a, a, a much more deep, um, grounded, uh, and down to earth person than I think you'd ever know from seeing this sort of larger than life 
person that he is as a celebrity. He is just, um, he's so into self uh, improvement, uh, learning. He seems like he's always learning something new. Uh, and I learned a lot from him in that, in that sense, because he, he's this guy who is really at the top of his game. He's uh, accomplished so much and it's not a place in most people's life where they would look at themselves and go, what can I change here? How can I be better? Um, and that's kind of who he is. It's just kind of always trying to be better and learn new things and be a more well-rounded person. And he's always trying to have more empathy for people. And he's just such a great guy. I'm like, are you a human being? <laughs> you gotta be a robot. <laughs> The only reason I've gotten a tiny bit of a taste of that is just like on the junket circuit, because you could, you'd walk into his room and you could just like feel the enthusiasm for his work, but also that he like radiates warmth and respect for the person who just walked in to talk to them. So yeah. I've always appreciated that of him. Oh, good. I'm glad that other people see that, you know, because it does, it, he always just, he feels like he's giving you the time of day and he always feels like like you're, you're important in some way. And yeah, he's, he's just a cool guy. All right. We always end ladies night with a second game and I'm obsessed with horror movies. So I want you to put the cast of Peacemaker in a horror movie, like the real people, not the characters. Ooh. So I'm going to give you some like horror movie, uh, I guess, superlatives. And you tell me who best fits this description and why. Okay. All right. Who of the cast is most likely to not realize they're in a horror movie and go and investigate a strange noise. Oh, geez. Who's who is the the person who would be most likely to not realize they were in a horror movie and go and investigate? Um, I'm going to say that. Oh, geez. Oh, I wish I I, I feel like all of the people are too. Um, they're too quick witted. They're too quick. It's fair enough, because this person is basically the first to die in your horror movie. Yeah, I feel like they're all just too quick. I mean, if I had to stretch it to uh, the um, the rest of the cast uh, and not just the main cast members, I think I would say it would be Lachlan Monroe, um, who who plays Fitzgibbon on the show, um, who's, who's uh, you know, sort of the, the Abbott and Costello uh, police team. Um, uh he is, he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And there's something about him that feels like he, he just sort of, he just, yeah, he would probably take one for the team and go and investigate. And yeah, I don't know. He, he's, he's just such a nice guy. All right. I got that. Now I'm feeling like there's not going to be an answer to this next one, but <laughs> who is the most likely to trip and fall while running from the slasher? Ooh, trip and fall. Oh, Ooh, that's a good one. I think I'm going to say Steve Agee, who plays John Economos. Okay. Okay. How about who is the first one to figure out who the killer actually is? Oh, gosh. I think it's uh, most likely, um, I think it's most likely Chikuti. He's a critical thinker. I think he'd save all of our asses. Good one to have on hand. Yes. All right, let's squeeze in two more. Who is the most likely to be the last one standing? 
the most likely to be the last one standing. Um, you know, I think it'd probably be Freddie Stroma because there's something about him that's, he just, he has this sort of a quiet uh, aspect to him that he he's not trying to like be the loudest person in the room or be seen. He's, he's very much, uh, you know, he's, I wouldn't say he's quiet, but he's a little more quiet than everyone else. So I feel like he'd slip under the radar. Okay. Here's the only follow-up to that question now. It is, who is the most likely to be the one that you think is dead, but is actually alive and comes back at the last minute to save the day? I feel like it has to be John Cena. I mean, I don't know. It just has to be. He's, you know, he. it's, it's basically what happened to his character in Suicide Squad, so it just feels right. <laughs> Fair enough. Wait, now I have to throw you in the mix here. What horror movie cliche are you? Where do you fall in like the typical the typical group there? Oh gosh, um, I don't know. I'm probably the dumb blonde who runs up the stairs and gets murdered at the beginning of the. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would the like. Scream to, franchise would... was very much justified that sometimes that's your only option, though. That's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. I think that I, I would like to believe I'm I, I'm really smart and I could I could outwit the killer. But, you know, I don't know. I'm I don't know. If it's I have having that, that drive and that belief in yourself that matters. And you have that. There you go. Yeah. I like that you believe in me. You have belief in me. I do. And that, that makes me think that I would be the most likely to live at the end. You are lovely to talk to. And I just watched you kick ass for seven episodes. Why wouldn't I believe in you? Oh, thank you. All right. I got to let you go. But again, huge congratulations on Peacemaker. Thank and you. I've got very high hopes for this series. So hopefully we can reconnect as it continues on and on and on because you can't get enough. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 